In the name of Jesus, the Good Shepherd, amen. The section of scripture which will be the focus of our meditation today is the gospel reading just read from John chapter 10, verses 11 through 16 on the Good Shepherd. And of course, the other readings from Ezekiel 34 and 1 Peter chapter 2 also focus us upon the Good Shepherd. I have to admit, though, to begin here, that I don't know much about shepherds. I don't know much about sheep. I grew up in central Nebraska, and I'm told that there are more sheep than people in Nebraska. But I didn't see many where I grew up. Hardly any shepherds I've seen in my whole life. I do have some contact, I suppose, with sheep down the line here. Um, A couple of years ago, I was at a petting zoo with my two young boys, and I touched a little lamb. Uh, Another contact with sheep, somewhat indirectly, is right now I'm wearing a suit made of wool. And when I was a teenager back in the 70s, the really cool thing was to have a genuine sheepskin as the car seat. So I was sitting on a sheepskin quite regularly. But that's about the extent of my contact and my familiarity with sheep, and even less with shepherds. And I would venture to guess the same is true for you. And yet, this image of shepherd and sheep is one that would be very familiar to the hearers of Jesus. Because in first century Palestine, this was a dominant industry, shepherding sheep herding. And as you would scan the hills of first century Palestine, you would see them dotted with hundreds of sheep and shepherds attending them. Jesus here uses this image familiar to the people of his day in order that they might better understand a deeper reality, a reality about his relationship with them. And we can understand the reality of his relationship with us as well. Now, in John chapter 10, there's a very extended discourse here and an extended use of the metaphor of the good shepherd. And there are many different applications that Jesus brings to bear here. But in our particular text, verses 16 and 17, Jesus seems to focus more specifically on the comparison, or maybe I should say the contrast, between the hireling and the good shepherd. Between the good shepherd and one who is a hired hand. And first of all, let's look at the hired hand. The hired hand was one who just was hired by the owner. He was an employee. He was the one who was to watch the flock but he didn't own the flock. And because of this, the hired hand oftentimes really didn't care that much for the flock. This is how Jesus describes the hired hand in verses 12 and 13. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. In other words, the hired hand here 
is mainly interested in what he can get from his employment rather than what he can give. He watches the flock not because he cares so much for it, but because of his personal gain and personal reward, especially money. His attitude is, what's in it for me? What do I get for being this shepherd? His focus here is on personal gain. What's the application? Well, Jesus was applying this to the religious leaders of his day, and no doubt he had in mind the prophecies of Ezekiel, part of which we heard this morning from Ezekiel chapter 34. The prophecy of God himself coming to shepherd his people, to shepherd his flock, a prophecy fulfilled in Jesus. But just prior to that prophecy, Ezekiel rails against the religious leaders of his day, the priests and the prophets, who were carrying out their responsibilities, their functions, more for personal gain than for the gain of God's people. They had a mercenary mentality to their ministry. And the prophets were in it for profit, for what they might gain for themselves. This is what Ezekiel says. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. These shepherds were in it for what they could get, not for what they could give. And Jesus then applies this to the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees, the scribes, the priests, who were also serving for their own self-interests rather than that of God. What about today? What's the application today? Well, the application is for religious leaders. That's us. We are religious leaders or preparing to be religious leaders. And the application is for us. How many pastors, shepherds, and other church workers, deaconesses, and so forth, really are more motivated for creature comforts than they are for comforting God's creatures, his flock, his people? I think this is true even here at the seminary. A while back, I was the acting placement director for three years, and that was a very gratifying and and joyful experience for me. But one of the downsides of that, and no doubt the most discouraging part of it, was occasionally I would work with candidates, and this was both before and after they received the call, when all that I heard from them was inquiries about the financial package, about the salary, about the housing arrangements, about the benefits. That was their focus, rather than focusing on the people to whom God was sending them, serving them. They had a kind of mercenary mentality for ministry. And the heart of it here was a heart of being a hireling. But I also have to say, as I look into my own heart 
sometimes I see that hireling attitude revealed. Where I'm thinking more about what I can get rather than what I can give. And that has especially been surfacing recently, I see. I look in the mirror and I see a hireling reflected. Especially as we are dealing with some of the economic and financial challenges here at the seminary. And I'm concerned and sometimes consumed with what are the financial implications for me and for my family. And I become more concerned and consumed about that than I am about Jesus' call to me to serve him, his people, you, the church. That's a mercenary attitude where I have more of an entitlement approach than one as a servant. And for that, I repent. And for that, may you repent. But Jesus doesn't just describe the hireling. He also describes the good shepherd. And the number one characteristic of the good shepherd is he lays down his life for the flock, for the sheep. Twice in these few verses, Jesus emphasizes that. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And in verse 15, he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. And there's a little word in that sentence that we oftentimes overlook. It's the preposition, for. I lay down my life for the sheep. The Greek is huper. And that's significant. Because in John's gospel, almost always when huper is used, it's used in a sacrificial context. Jesus is here saying the good shepherd is one who sacrifices himself for the flock. The good shepherd is the one who is willing to offer himself at risk of death for the salvation of the flock, for the rescue of those he has been called to care for. And no matter what may attack predators, wild animals, bears, wolves, lions, or human predators, thieves, bandits, the shepherd will take his stand to defend the flock to the death. That's the good shepherd. A while back I heard a story of a simple but strong man by the name of Amel. And Amel had a small ranch in Montana. He cared for a number of different kinds of animals, including sheep. And one day he was alarmed to see that a dog, what he perceived to be a dog, what he perceived to be his neighbor's dog, had gotten into the sheep pen and was attacking his sheep. Emil didn't have time to run into the house and grab the shotgun, and so he hurtled over the fence into the sheep pen and engaged that dog, that animal, wrestling it to the ground, and a hand-to-jaw combat commenced 
Finally, Emil prevailed. He broke the neck of the animal. But in the process, he was significantly wounded. He was bleeding profusely. He picked up the lifeless body of this animal and took it to his neighbor's home, laid it at the doorstep. And when the neighbor came out to see it, Emil said, I'm sorry I killed your dog, but I had to to save my sheep. And the neighbor looked down and gasped. He said, that's not my dog. That's a wolf. You killed a wolf with your bare hands. Indeed, he had to save his sheep. Jesus Christ entered into this world to rescue us, his sheep, from an even more ferocious predator than any wolf. He came to rescue us from Satan. And he engaged in mortal combat with Satan. He was severely wounded. He bled profusely. He died. He laid down his life for his sheep. But in his death and in his resurrection, for God raised that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, he now has conquered Satan and destroyed the power of Satan over us and has delivered us from that bondage to Satan and sin. And now we are free because the good shepherd has laid down his life for his sheep. He has laid down his life for you. And his shed blood now cleanses you from a multitude of sins, including the sin of a mercenary mentality in ministry and of being a hireling. You are redeemed. You are rescued by the Good Shepherd. And now our response is to follow him and serve him, not because of what we can get, but because of what we can give, because we have been so richly given. As I said, I don't know much about sheep, even less about shepherds, but I do know about the Good Shepherd. And more than that, I know the Good Shepherd. And more than that, he knows me, and he knows you, and he has come to lay down his life for me and for you, his sheep. May we now who aspire to be his under-shepherds live for him and for his flock. Amen.